Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending to us your Son, Jesus Christ, for sharing with us words of eternal life, words that make us more like you. So again, Lord, open our hearts. Share those words with us, Lord. May they penetrate into our lives that we might become more like you. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I haven't commented on what season we're currently in in the church calendar, and that's because, quite honestly, this is a long one. Uh, uh, But right now we're in the season of ordinary time. Uh, For those of you who are new to the church calendar, ordinary time spans from kind of uh, uh, after Pentecost, which is 50 days after Easter, uh, so that was a little bit ago, all the way until the first Sunday in Advent. So it's about six months long. And during this time, we, we look at the teachings of Jesus uh, we look at his, his sermons, his parables, his pastoral instructions to us, and uh, a part of our, our lectionary, that is our Sunday reading schedule, our, sum, our, our Sunday uh, scripture schedule, you have the gospel passage, and then you have the New Testament passage, you have the Old Testament passage, and those two sort of speak to and shape, and in, uh, yeah, they speak to that gospel passage. And so I love how moments like this especially where we have the, the reading from Amos, the reading from 1 Timothy, the reading from Luke, and they all speak to each other. They all inform one another. Uh, some of you really love taking the bulletin home and, and, and studying it throughout the week, and I think that's great because you're going to pick up on things that, that I'm not, I don't have time to go into on a Sunday morning. But you're able to see how given these, these rich um, histories and contexts of these passages, how they all speak to and inform one another. And what you'll see is that The entirety of Holy Scripture is absolutely uniform in its teaching to us. Um, So these these are things um, that we get to glean from every Sunday when we we gather together and listen to the Word of God. So a a man walked into the the church building uh, earlier this week, and he was looking for a rope to hold together part of his bike that was falling apart, and uh, and Aaron uh, was running around the building trying to find something that that would suit his needs. And uh, it, we were chatting, and he's like, so, so this is a church, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is a church. And he's like, how many people come here on a Sunday? I'm like, well, we have, we have two services. It's, it's mostly full, you know? And he was, like, shocked by that. He was like, really? People come to church? I'm like, yeah, sometimes, you know, people, people come to church, you know? Uh, and he's like, oh, man, you know, I, I bet that this is one of those really cool churches that like rewrites half the Bible so that like it, it, it's more like comfortable for today and stuff. And I'm like, mm, actually not, not so much. <laughs> and I said, you know, part of the reason, and there's many reasons why, uh, why, but part of the reason why we named the church Restoration is because we want to restore the ancient wisdom that we find in the Holy Scriptures. We think that the Scriptures are absolutely relevant to our lives here and today. Uh, We think that the solutions that this world offers us are shaky. They're not strong foundations. Uh, When we root ourselves in the foundations of this world, uh, we we find ourselves with greater anxiety and, and, and just more confusion about what's going on in our world. But the Bible has sustained men and women and children for generations. And so that is what we are here for. We want to, the same thing that has sustained them through war and famine and plague and pestilence, like we want to hear from that as well. We, if it's good enough for them, it's got to be good enough for us. And so again, today, we're here to submit ourselves to God's word. 
Even though the teachings are difficult, even though some might question its relevance, we absolutely want to submit ourselves to the goodness of God's word to us. Not because we're history nerds, not because uh, uh, we love nostalgia or whatever. No, because this is deep, powerful, beautiful, supernatural, life-changing wisdom for our lives today. So all three of these passages touch on something that all of us wrestle with in some form or fashion. So all three of these passages that we looked at today um, speak the same truth to us, regardless of its Amos speaking to uh, the wealthy Jews of his day in the Old Testament, whether it's Jesus who's confronting uh, the Pharisees of his day with this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, or if it's the Apostle Paul who's challenging the Christian church, all of them are saying, beware the love of money. Beware of the love of money. Beware of, of, of the love of wealth in your life. Take caution. So we've been in 1 Timothy the last couple of weeks, and so I, I want to continue in that. I want us to, of these three, uh, I want to hone in on 1 Timothy, uh, especially that last paragraph, those verses, uh, 16, or verses 17 through 19 of that final paragraph. So as we listen to this, though, may we do so with Amos and the words of Jesus also echoing loudly in our minds. Because even though these are challenging words, God gives us to these so that we might take hold of his true life. So let's dive in. So in chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, As for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty or, or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So many of you know that I'm, I'm a huge gadget guy. Used to work for Apple back in the day. I, uh, that, that's, that's my struggle. All right, I'm being vulnerable with you, okay? Um, so Apple just recently released this new Apple Watch called the Apple Watch Ultra. It's like a normal Apple Watch, but really big. Like really big. It's made of titanium and like sapphire glass. Like it's super cool, right? Um, if one of you has one today, I'd love to see it. But we're going to pretend like it's really, really bad and evil today for the sake of this illustration to work. Um, okay? Sound good? Okay, great. <laughs> um, so they, they released this thing, and what I love about any kind of commercial that you see this day and age is commercials act as like a parable of our age. They're all trying to teach a lesson to you, and a lot of commercials these days say the same lie, and that is you are what you own. You are what you own. That is, that is a loud message that we get today in our culture. And if you watch these Apple Watch Ultra commercials, it's kind of a tongue twister, you'll see this lie coming through pretty strongly, right? There's people who are like scuba diving and they've got all their gear and they're like chasing fish, you know, at the bottom of the ocean and their Apple Watch like tells them like what the depth is and, and the temperature and that sort of stuff. There, uh, there's this one of this lady who's running uh, through the Sahara Desert on this ultra marathon and she like looks at her Apple Watch and it like helps her run faster or something. Uh, and then there's this other one where, where these people are climbing in this really steep rocky mountain in the middle of nowhere and they're like looking at their apple watch and it's you know helping them uh, be happy and stuff and the, the message is really really clear in this commercial it's buy this watch and you will be a person of adventure you will be a person that other people admire because you do great and mighty things you know you'll just like flash it on your watch and they'll see that all the time well at one point in the in the commercial 
those, those, those hikers, uh, one of the guys is like holding his leg. I assume it's broken, you know, because he's up at the top of the mountain. And it's like, well, if you've got a broken leg, how'd you get all the way to the top of the mountain? But like, whatever, we'll suspend that for a minute. Uh, and, and, and his buddy like pushes a button on the Apple Watch and like out of nowhere, this massive helicopter comes. <laughs> like it looks like an army helicopter and it like lifts them up and they're safe. And it's like, yay, Apple Watch, save my life, great. You know, and, and the message again is clear. It's like on this watch, and you'll be so important that even this helicopter will come and rescue you. Like, it'll be amazing. And this points us to what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying that one of the dangers of wealth here is pride. It can lead you to a sense of vanity. It, ma- it can make you think, because I own this thing, uh, that I am an important person. It gives us the illusion of self-importance. You know, look at my watch. Look at, look at my necklace that I'm wearing. You know, look at the car that I'm driving here. You know, look at what I own. Aren't I super important? And this has a flip side to it as well, doesn't it? The flip side is you can be contemptuous or sometimes scornful of people who don't own what you own. You can sometimes resent them. You can think, if you don't own what I own, you must not be as important as I actually am. Now, the Bible is clear. And this is modeled most beautifully in the life of Jesus Christ himself, that every human being is of equal worth and dignity and value regardless of their wealth, regardless of what they own in this world. So the first danger that we need to avoid is that of pride. Resist the danger of pride that wealth might uh, tempt you with. But there's a second danger in here as well. Paul says, don't set your hope on what? The uncertainty of riches. Again, this reminds me of something that Jesus has said, where he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The point that both Paul and Jesus are getting at is don't place your trust in the objects of this world, but rather place your trust on the person, Jesus Christ and his Father in heaven. They are where we should place our hope. Now, it should be noted here, and and even Paul mentions this, that he's not charging us against um, enjoying the things of this world. Okay, we have those things. In fact, Paul says God is the one who gives us things to enjoy in this world. Uh, We are to enjoy the goodness of creation. And we could talk about that. But we must not place our hope in them. We must realize that these are gifts that have come from the giver. So Jesus' list of, of moth and rust and, and the thief who breaks in. You know, t- today in this modern world, we could probably add in a couple of more things, couldn't we? We could add in fire. Uh, we could add in vandalism threatens our wealth. Inflation threatens our wealth. In today's digitized, globalized, fast-paced world, it's really easy for someone to go to bed rich and wake up the next day poor. Are the gas prices and the grocery bill, are those things taking a toll on your savings account these days? If you have a stock portfolio, how's that portfolio looking these days? Does this cause anxiety to raise up within you? Well, my hope and my prayer is that the fragility of this world's wealth and its uncertainty may drive us to contemplate a God who is bigger and eternal, who will not let us down. So the two dangers of wealth are pride and a false sense of security. Well, not only are there dangers to wealth, there's also duties to wealth. Verse 18, Paul says, do good, be rich in good deeds. So I think the first duty that we have here is to develop a kingdom imagination. 
for what we can use our wealth for. Now, what do I mean by a kingdom imagination or, or a kingdom innovation? Well, in the same way in which we, we plan and, and, and we imagine kind of the future with our, our material wealth, may we, with that same sort of fervor, imagine ways, uh, uh, creative ways for the kingdom that we could use our wealth. May we dream and imagine our lives full of good works. Uh, I remember I... Uh, uh, I used to, in addition to working at a church, I also worked in IT at a school, and I remember meeting with my pastor and just telling him about all the things at the school that was taking place, and he was like, Rick, I have to admit, man, like, I'm, I'm kind of jealous. Like, I want to hear that sort of same excitement for the church, and I think I would pass that on to you as well. You know, I love, I love hearing about uh, the way in which you're using your God-given gifts in your vocation, and please do that. Please pursue that. But also, as you come here on a Sunday morning, let us imagine together how we, as, as the redeemed people of God, as brothers and sisters, a part of the same spiritual family, may utilize and, and lean on and celebrate the gifts that we have with one another and how we might together use those for the sake of the kingdom. For the past several weeks, we've had uh, these clipboards out uh, in the, the lobby here. Uh, for joining a Sunday team or the children's ministry or the music ministry. Um, But there's some other clipboards that are out there that I hope you all have taken a chance to see. Uh, These are mission opportunities that Molly has has laid out for us. But one is uh, that you could look at is one for community outreach. And these are just simple ways to help assure or tell the community around us that there is a church here that they can come and be a part of. Uh, that this is a family, this is a community that they could come and be a part of where they will be loved. But also there's ministries there related to restorative justice. Ministries where we can visit those uh, who are in prison or who we can be hospitable to those uh, who used to be incarcerated uh, and are looking for fellowship and encouragement. We also have a minister, or, uh, an area of ministry there that's, that's uh, hospitality to the vulnerable. That is ministries that are welcoming in the refugees Uh, or children who are at risk. Now, these are just some of the ministries that are here at Restoration. I want to hear the ideas that you have as well. I mean, one of the fun things about being at a young church like this, uh, we're we're not even five years old yet, is we we love trying new things. They might not always work out, but that's totally, some of you are laughing because you're like, I'm kind of tired of trying new things. But like, this is a place where you can try new things. So if the Lord has placed upon your heart this passion, And there's other people in the church that when you share that with, they're like, I would love to be a part of that. Like, let's do it. Let's do it. Why not? Like, let's take kingdom risks. Let's develop kingdom innovation. So what's a second duty that we have? It's to keep eternity in mind. Paul says, store up treasure as a good foundation for the future. Again, this echoes what Jesus Christ says. Lay up your treasures in heaven. What does that mean, treasures in heaven? Like, have you ever thought about that? Does it, does it mean that, like, we get extra jewels in our crown or, like, some kind of trophy or something? I don't think so. And, like, I, I read a lot of commentaries on this, and they just kind of let that phrase be. They're like, yeah, yeah, lay up treasures in heaven. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. Um, but I, I love that, that the scriptures here are stretching our imaginations into eternity And let us ponder that mystery together. I think that's great. Let us ponder what eternity is going to look like and how the things that we do here in this age are going to impact what our heaven, what our experience in heaven looks like. Now, to be clear, we're not earning our own salvation. That's not what Paul is getting at here. 
Jesus Christ came into the world and he achieved the supreme good work there upon the cross, securing a way for us to enter into fellowship with him. He paid a price that we could not pay. He did the good work that we ourselves could not do. But as followers of Jesus, as those who have received been filled with his Holy Spirit, he commissions us to do um, things like him, to shape our lives like him, to experience him. And in doing so, we get to experience the treasures of heaven. Now, I wonder, maybe one of those treasures of heaven is that deep and inner peace that you have. When you're about to embark on something and you don't know what that future holds, but you know who stands with you. You know who holds you. And that gives you a deep sense of peace. Or maybe it's courage to face a known evil and to know that you have no victory over me. Maybe that's a treasure that we have. Or maybe it's a joy from, from an, 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 uh, a deep sense of joy that is with you even as you walk through tremendous amounts of suffering. Maybe those are some of those eternal treasures that we get a taste of here and now um, when we practice good deeds. So what duties do we have? Foster a kingdom innovation and ponder our eternal treasures. Um, so I would actually, uh, it, it, as, as, a, as I start to wrap this up, I would actually like to conclude by reading a portion from a book called The Hiding Place. I'm sure several of you have read this. Um, but this is a true story of a family in Holland who hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. And there's one moment in here when, when Corey, she's, she's trying to find a home uh, for this, this sweet little baby. Uh, she owns a, they, her family runs a, oh no, I lost my page. 98? I think it's 98. All right, I'll tell you if I won or you won later. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is a story uh, where she's, she's in her watch shop and the town pastor comes in to the watch shop. And now Corey says to the pastor, I actually have something that I want to confess to you. And the pastor's eyes clouded over, confess? I drew him out the back door of the shop, up the stairs, into our dining room. And she said, I confess that I too am searching for something. And the pastor's face was now wrinkled with a frown. And she said, would you be willing to take a Jewish mother and her baby into your home that they will almost certainly, they will almost certainly be arrested otherwise? And then color drained from the man's face. He took a step backward and he said, Miss Tenboom, I, I do hope that you're not involved in any of this illegal concealment and undercover business. It's just not safe. Think of your father and your sister. She's never been strong. On impulse, I, I told the pastor to wait just a moment, and I ran upstairs. Betsy had put the newcomers uh, in William's old room, the farthest from the windows on the street, and I asked the mother's permission to borrow the infant. The little thing weighed hardly anything in my arms. And so then back in the dining room, I, I pulled back the coverlet from the baby's face. And then there was, there was a long silence. The man bent forward. His hand, in spite of himself, reached out for that tiny fist curled around the blanket. And for a moment, I saw compassion and fear struggling on his face. Then he straightened up. No, no, definitely not. We would lose our lives for that Jewish child. Now, unseen by, by either of us, father had appeared in the doorway. Now give the child to me, Corey, he said. And father held the baby close, his white beard brushing its cheek. 
looking, in, looking into the little face with his eyes as blue and innocent as the baby's own. At last, he looked up to the pastor. You say that we could lose our lives for this child. I would consider that the greatest honor that could come to my family. And then the pastor turned sharply on his heels and he walked out of the room. Now, some of us might not be providing refuge for children, but some of us are. Some of you here in this room, some of you here in our congregation are doing exactly what they did for that child. You're using the wealth and the resources that you have to provide for children who are in absolute and dire need. We're not technically in a war right now, but there are forces of poverty and addiction and violence that make our society feel like an absolute war zone right now. And you're using your God-given resources to create a place of refuge for poor children and this is what I'm getting at here, is that yes, we, there are dangers to riches. Yes, we have duties with riches. But there is also an otherworldly, supernatural, beautiful delight that God, God calls us into with our riches. Paul concludes this passage by saying, take hold of that which is truly life. And so when we are rich in our good works, it's like this window opens up in our lives to a whole new, like a, a completely different world. This is a different world with, with different values associated with it. And it confuses and it, and it confounds the structures and the systems and the powers of this present world. Ours is a world of risk and adventure. Ours is a world of perfect love. Ours is a world of light and righteousness and beauty. Ours is a world, to use the words of, of Paul, ours is a world of true life, of true goodness, of true beauty. This is life in God himself. You see, friends, when we are rich in good works, we participate in the glory of God himself because he is the one who, who left heaven and descended down with us, who set aside his heavenly riches so that he could be with us. And so when we embark on that same journey ourselves, we are participating in the life of God himself. We become like God, and that is a life that nothing of this world can even come close to. So what kind of wealth do you come here with today? Maybe it is a wealth of finances, of money and riches. Maybe it's a wealth of time. Maybe you're in a season of life right now where you just have such an abundant amount of time. Maybe it's a wealth of, of intelligence or a wealth of experience and you bring with you just this amazing amount of wisdom. Do not love your wealth. Do not love your wealth. Do not cling to your wealth but cling to God our Father in heaven and use your wealth, use those resources for him and for his glory to be rich in good works so that you might take hold of true life, a life in Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are a wealthy people. I even just think of this building that we are in that you've given us Thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you've given us. Lord, may we enjoy it. May we, um, and in our enjoyment, Lord, may we express our gratitude to you. But also, Lord, may we take good measure of the responsibilities that you have called us into. May we be eager to enter into good works. And Lord, I pray that you would expand our imaginations. 
Lord, expand mine, expand the imaginations of everyone in this room that we might ponder the things that you want to do in us and through us for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of the lost, Lord, for the sake of those who don't have a power or voice or anything in this world, Lord. May we be quick to use our resources to be rich in good works, Lord, because we want this world to see you clearly. We want them to know you, to enter into your fellowship and your goodness. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.